All right, today's uh, scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, my name's Alex. I serve as one of the pastors here. Good to be with you guys. I love seeing all the sweaters. I hope you guys enjoy just the fun uh, Sundays that we get to have as a church family. It's just a sweet opportunity for us to continue to just celebrate. Hey, it's a fun Christmas season. It's a fun little holiday family tradition that we get to do together. And I especially love seeing like the babies in the little sweaters. I think it's the cutest thing in the world. Uh, where's Seth at? Seth maybe wins the day with his short shorts, Christmas Santa shorts. Thanks, buddy, for blessing us with that. Uh, appreciate you. Um, but as we consider the Advent season, you know, we've been walking through these different themes. First week, we looked at hope. Uh, second week, we looked at joy um, or love. Then joy was the third week. And today, as AJ just kind of mentioned, we're going to talk about peace. So as I was kind of considering and thinking about peace, I started thinking, well, where do we normally kind of expect peace to come from? Or who's supposed to bring peace uh, upon uh, different people, right? It's kind of wondering, pondering on that and just thinking, okay, usually you think like leaders, right? Leaders of people are the ones who are help them just walk in, in, a, in a place of peace, to have peace among each other and among other people groups. So as I was starting to consider, man, the life of Jesus himself, who came as an infant, I started wondering, man, he came to bring peace, not just to restore peace among people, but peace with him and peace for us with God. So as I was considering this whole situation, I started thinking, well, what was the life of Jesus like? Who was currently reigning and ruling and leading the people? Was, did it feel like it was a sense of peace during their time? So as you kind of start reading the history of the, of the time that Jesus was born, you know that kind of Rome is uh, overseeing a large part of the whole world. They're kind of leading the entire world. And as you kind of start considering, well, who's the leader of Rome? What's well, at this present time, it's Caesar Augustus. You can read uh, Luke chapter 2. It's kind of the one time we see him uh, mentioned there. It talks about a decree that kind of went out through all the people. And he says, hey, go and get registered. Uh, and as you consider Caesar Augustus himself, some interesting facts started to come up as I was just pondering on who he was as a leader. Uh, one of the first things that I kind of learned about Caesar Augustus was that he was the first Roman emperor who was actually worshipped as a god. One of the titles that he actually took on himself was the phrase, son of God. So I thought, that's pretty interesting. Why did he consider himself a son of God? Like, why did he become the first one that was worshipped as deity? So you kind of start digging a little bit more into the history behind who this guy is, and you start to see, oh, it all comes from this story where there was a comet who was kind of coming down, the, coming down from the sky, People are seeing it. Rome is kind of freaking out and just wondering, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? How are we going to make it through? It looks like the sky is falling upon us. 
So Caesar then takes this moment to say, oh, this is a sweet opportunity for me to do something. So in the middle of all of this, he starts to decree and say, oh, that comet is actually my dad. It's my dad ascending from his body and he's going back up into the heavens. And so he says, hey, my, my dad is a god and my mom is a human and I was born from a human. So he starts to take on both human and divine nature all at the same time. And so because of this, he wanted to symbolize this whole, uh, this whole moment. He wanted to give the people a, a, a way to actually remember this fact that he was both man and both deity and deserved to be worshipped. And so what did he do? Of course, he puts his face on money. And I didn't put a picture of it, but if you kind of look up uh, this coin, you would see, man, there's these different coins that have Caesar's face all on them. And on the back side of the coin, there's this star or this comet that's supposed to symbolize his father ascending and him being uh, the son of a god, right? And as you start considering and researching, I found something even more interesting about this coin. They call it the Advent coin. Now, Advent simply means coming. And so what he's trying to pull the people into is to see, man, this is the coming of his kingdom, the coming of his ruling. And he was someone who was known to actually rule with great peace. As Rome continued to take over and dominate and ascend to continue to lead people, it was also a place that they would continue to say, okay, rather than going in and completely enslaving all the people or abolishing them all, I'm going to establish peace among myself and the others. So what he decided to do then was to pick different leaders from each uh, empire that he was kind of taking over, and he would call them kings. And he would say, hey, you're the king of your people. And so that's how King Herod, as you kind of read about the, the Christmas story with Jesus, that's how he came to be. Caesar chose him to be the king of the Jews. So if Caesar himself is the one who's in charge of all of the kings, you can see that there's another title given to this man, king of kings. And you start to consider, man, who is this guy that continues to call himself all of these different names? King of kings. He has this reign of peace where it doesn't seem like he's domineering too much to wipe out people completely. He's a man who considers himself son of God. You start to see all the resemblances, right? You're picking up a little bit about what's happening because then we start to read about a baby who was born. We start to read about uh, someone who is supposed to be born and a star appears. A virgin gives birth to a son of God. And we start to read and we celebrate now here today his coming, which we call the Advent season. He was called the Prince of Peace and his government shall have no end. So as we wrestle between these two figures who are supposed to be people who are reigning, ruling, people who are supposed to actually establish peace on earth, people who are supposed to bring this sense of peace for us, we wonder, well, how do we know that he's actually going to bring peace? Well, that's what we kind of see throughout the scriptures. So let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 6, or Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, and he tells us, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, the prophet Isaiah lived in Jerusalem, and he spoke a message to God's people. 
Here we read about how he proclaims this child who's going to be born, the, the new king that's going to be established. And he's saying all of this because he's actually been telling and will continue to tell of judgment that's supposed to come upon Jerusalem. He's telling them, hey, you've been idolatrous. You've worshiped other gods. You've been living as your own God. You've treated people unjustly. And because of that, because of your sin, I'm bringing wrath upon you. And so he sends Assyria and Babylon. They're going to come. They're going to execute justice on the people because of their rebellion. But in chapter 7, we also see great hope. Because Isaiah doesn't just tell them of something that's going to uh, stink in a season that's going to be quite difficult because of the wrath and justice that he's bringing, but he's also telling them of the hope to look forward to, this reign of peace that's going to come, and a new king who's actually going to bring them back, a new Jerusalem, who he's going to point them to and show that, man, this is someone who's going to lead you back to a relationship with God to have peace, not just with people, but with him as well. So this prophecy that we read and as we look at the book of Isaiah or as you, we sing the songs and you kind of think, man, this is some of these verses are taken to some of the most well-known pieces of music throughout all of history. This was all written 700 years before Jesus was even born. And in verse 6, we read about the new king who we now know is Jesus himself. And Isaiah tells us he's going to be born a child. He's going to be a son that's given to us. You kind of think of that and you're wondering, okay, if I'm an Israelite receiving this prophecy from Isaiah, who's just been told that there's going to be just a terrorist reign that's going to come over us, and you're telling me my Savior is going to be a baby, that seems pretty odd. And yet the greatest gift that we could ever receive as we consider Christmas was born in a manger. The greatest gift that we could ever receive is a personal relationship that came as a young baby and grew up to be a man. The greatest gift that we could ever receive is Jesus himself, the true son of God. And as we look at verse 6, he talks to us as if he's going to be a child and yet he's going to be a son. And if you start to think, what's it mean that he's a son? He's also a full deity. Now, one of the greatest uh, attacks on the Christian faith in the early church was that Jesus was not fully God. They would say that Jesus was just a prophet. He was just a good teacher. Maybe you even hear this today because it's still something that said that Jesus was just someone who came and did nice things for people. He had great morals and great teachings. And yet at the same time, we start reading the scriptures and we see he did much more than just mere humans can actually do. Or people would say, well, he wasn't completely human. There's no way he was 100% human. And yet at the same time, the scriptures argue that. And we see that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. And yet our minds can't comprehend it. But the scriptures point us to seeing that this incarnation, which simply means in the flesh, right? As you think of that word, it just means Jesus. And next time you go and get uh, carne asada at your Mexican restaurant thinking, oh, I'm eating uh, flesh. That's great. Sounds good. Thanks for that tip, Alex. Uh, now, as you're thinking what uh, Isaiah is calling them to, he's saying there's going to be someone to save you. There's going to be a new king. And as we consider what this new king is like, we see his both completely man and completely God. As you wrestle with that, you start to read throughout the scriptures, man, Jesus was human enough to where he became thirsty. And yet at the same time, he was God enough to tell us, I'm the source of true living water. 
Jesus was human enough to get hungry, and yet at the same time told us he was the bread of life, and then multiplies bread to feed thousands. Jesus was human enough to where the, the point where he had a friend die, he wept and cried and he felt sorrow in his heart. And yet at the same time, he was God enough to where he could look at his tomb, call out his name, and the man would rise from the dead. And he got to hug his friend Lazarus once again. He's not just an average man. He's not just someone who did some things that did uh, some nice moral teachings for us to take in. But as we come and we start to see who this prophecy was, it's of a God who was coming to save his people. And he had to become like his people in order to save them. And so Isaiah tells us that this man came so that we might become children of God. This is the new king that we look forward to, the new one who will establish peace on earth. As you kind of hear that phrase, everybody desires peace. Everybody longs for it. Everybody wants it, right? So who's going to bring it? How's he going to execute it? What's it going to look like? Isaiah goes on to describe this man a little bit more. He says, And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He gives them all these titles, and you kind of start wrestling with them, and you go, okay, that's sweet, sweet names to have. Great nicknames. I'd love it if you guys started calling me Wonderful Counselor. I'd enjoy that. Wonderful. You just think of it one at a time. Just take them as descriptors and kind of see what, what is he actually saying here? Wonderful. The ability to perform wonderful supernatural gifts for people. Counselor. I think of people who are great counselors in my life. I know I can go to them and get great advice. Ask them many questions. Ponder with them the different things that I'm wrestling with. Mighty, all-powerful, conquering king. Strong, right? As you think of God, deity, that one's kind of obvious. A divine warrior of infinite power as you kind of pair those two together. You wrestle with uh, who Jesus is in expressing his eternal reign. That means he never had a beginning and never has an end. Something far different than what we can even wrap our brains around, how he never had a beginning. Father, he's not describing like the Trinitarian Father, Son, Spirit here, but he's giving him these characteristics. A father who cares for his family, a father who protects his people. And as you wrestle with the last one, the Prince of Peace, you start to read all these descriptors of who Jesus is and you wonder, man, This boy, this child that's born to us, this son that's going to be given, who's going to hold the government upon his shoulders, will be given all of these names. And it made me start wrestling as I was sitting with this this week. It made me start wrestling with uh, a couple, about a year and a half ago. Uh, My wife and I started pondering and talking about different names that we wanted to give to our now daughter. We thought, okay, uh, how do we want to pick names? Do we want to do someone who like, we love and has impacted us in a great way? Do we want to draw something that maybe has some sense of meaning from our relationship? Or do we want to have something that the name itself is supposed to describe something? So as we tried to be intentional with her name, we said, okay, let's, let's pick some words that we believe have great meaning to be able to point her to Jesus. So we gave her the name Eden and her middle name, Grace. And as I started uh, pondering on these two names, in Hebrew, Eden means to delight, or it means paradise. Grace means unmerited favor. So as we chose her name, we wanted her to be able to reflect on what it meant. 
In several years, when she's able to actually understand, you know, that her name has depth and meaning, I want her to be able to see, man, to, and to think back to the Garden of Eden, a place of paradise, a place where God delighted actually resting with his people in. I want her to think about God's grace and his unmerited favor towards her and towards us as we get to see Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I wanted her to be able to not just look back to the Garden of Eden, but also look forward to the kingdom of heaven, to the new kingdom that God's going to bring, that she could actually delight in God's unmerited favor for herself. And that's my prayer for her, that she would know Jesus and be be able to actually experience what her name really is. Now, names are given in Scripture all over the place. And they're not just names that kind of maybe don't have any sense of meaning. And sometimes you read different stories where the Bible kind of stops for a quick second. It tells you their name or it says that God changed their name. And then it mentions that it has some significant meaning with it. And that's actually how all of their names worked. As you go back and you start doing some research, sometimes we gloss over each of those names. You know, you look at Abraham, his name meant the father of many nations. Isaac meant the one who laughs to kind of discuss how his parents mocked at God when he told them that they were going to have a child. But what we miss when we just gloss over them is their identity, their story. Many names today, we have names because we enjoy them. We like them. And that's not a bad thing. But as we look at the story that was written before our eyes and we start understanding who the people are, we see that their titles, their names, aren't just something that's there, aren't just something that's kind of something quick to gloss over, but it's their true identity. It's who they actually are. It's a story that's unfolding and being told with them. So when Jesus is called the Wonderful Counselor, When Jesus is called the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, this is who he is. Jesus wasn't given the title of Prince of Peace because he worked up the corporate ladder to get it. He wasn't given the title and the name to show some information about a military standing. But the Prince of Peace is who he is at the core of his actual being. It's not just that he has peace or that he can bring peace, but that he is peace. And that feels weird to really think about and wrestle with. But if this is true, that means Jesus is not hostile. That means Jesus is not someone who's full of rage and anger. It simply means that he's someone who rules with peace. This is maybe a slight shift for the Israelites. You think of the people who were reading this message as Isaiah is giving and proclaiming this to King Ahaz, and then the rest of the Jewish people are reading and hearing this. They're receiving this fact that this new king that's supposed to come and reign is someone who is not just a king of peace, but a prince of peace. It is his true identity. And they're hearing, okay, there's going to be two kingdoms that are going to come and establish reign over us. They're going to put us in slavery. We're going to live through just terrorist weeks and months and years. And there's going to be someone who's going to bring us peace. You imagine what that looks like in their brain and you wrestle with the Old Testament and you start thinking, I can quickly start seeing how they connected the dots and thought that Jesus, this Messiah, was going to be someone who would come in violence, who would come to take out Rome or to take out Assyria or to take out Babylon or whatever enemy they had right in front of them and right before them. And yet Jesus was talking about a different type of peace. God himself was giving us a different type of peace. 
These people were looking for someone who would wage war and who would bring them back to the top. But he was someone who established peace with them first and foremost. Now, when we think of the word peace, we normally think of like the little peace sign, right? My daughter has been doing this a lot lately. I don't know why, but she just does it. And so I was thinking about that today as I was leaving the house literally this morning. She looked at me like this. Uh, And I was like, oh, that's cute. Um, Don't know how that fits in a sermon, but I'm putting it in there because she's cute. Uh, And you think of peace and you start thinking, yeah, world peace, right? Everybody wants world peace. Everybody talks about it. Yeah, that's something we desire. Start thinking, oh, cool. Who are peaceful people? You think of like Gandhi, right? You think of someone who was peaceful and lived their whole life wanting to be peaceful. You you think of uh, meditation or a peace as a state of bliss or silence that we can create on our own. It's a sense of inner being that we make on our own. But the the peace that God was talking about here was a peaceful relationship with him. See, the whole reason why Assyria and Babylon were going to come was because the Jewish people were walking away from God. They were idolatrous. They were living in just lives. He'd given them this relationship with him and said, this is what you're supposed to be like, my people who are a blessing to the many nations. And they didn't live out their life that way. They were in sin. They walked away from God. And so God had to execute justice on them because of their sin. It's the same that's true for us. While we worship ourselves and we lift up ourselves, we're uh, idols in our own eyes. We want to make our God our own things, our own treasures, our own presents under the Christmas tree, making sure our lights are the best ones on the block, making sure we're able to bring about the best Christmas presents to every single person we see. And we want to be loved and we want to be cared for. and We want a sense of peace this Christmas, don't we? We don't want to go to the Christmas table in just a few days and to sit across Uncle John who bothered us in a really weird way about eight years ago. And every time we see him, we still get a little bit peeved. We want peace. And yet, peace is something that we need. Not just because someone did something against us, but something we need between our relationship with God because in our idolatry, we're far from him. See, the peace that Jesus was wanting to bring was relational peace, not just between us and others, but actually between us and him. Something that he wanted to actually establish and be the mediator to come. That's why this child was born. That's why we can trust that he can hold the government on his shoulders because we see his reign is actually something that he can bear because he took the cross on his shoulders. Because he was nailed to the cross and actually died a real death all so that we could have life everlasting with him. So that we could experience this king of peace. And in who a king is then, this prince of peace, this God man that we're supposed to look to, we see it actually lived out in their life. Great leaders, when you think of how they lead, you can easily and quickly kind of go, okay, so what does their business look like? What does their actual like ministry kind of look like? What does their actual home maybe look like? Because who you are impacts what everything kind of looks like around you that you lead and influence, right? One of the, one of the first things that I was told when I was getting into ministry uh, that they told me, Alex, you're never going to have to worry about making the ministry something that looks like you. 
it will naturally take the shape of who you are because it's who you are, it's how you lead, it's what's going to come out. So as you lead, you need to be aware of your weak points. You need to be aware of the areas where you're going to fall or things are going to fall through the cracks because that's areas that's going to impact the rest of the ministry. And so I started thinking about that, and that's true. Think of leaders, government leaders, policies, or whatever it is, who they are kind of impacts how they lead. And as we think of this prince of peace who's supposed to bring us peace, we say, okay, if that's who he is, that's what his kingdom will look like then, right? That's what his dominion will look like. So God tells Isaiah to prophesy this in verse 7. The second point that we see is this dominion of peace. Verse 7 reads, The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So because of who Jesus is, as the Prince of Peace, we think and expect that his dominion will actually look like this. His kingdom is going to take this on, and it tells us that his prosperity, the kingdom's prosperity will never end. That sounds great. Can't wait for that. His reign is from the throne of David. There's this prophecy that the king is supposed to be from the line of David. You go forward to the Gospel of Matthew, you read right at the beginning of verse 1, Jesus, son of David. We start thinking, okay, his kingdom will be one of justice and righteousness, not one of injustice, not one of turmoil, but one that will forever accomplish all that we want, all that we crave. I think most people would probably say, yeah, I'd I'd love to have a world that's full of peace. I'd love to have a world that's not chaotic. There's no pain. There's no war. There's no world hunger, no poverty. When we're actually people are caring about each other. And moving forward with one another, that'd be amazing. Even think of the cliche thing that they always ask at like the the Miss America pageants. If you had one wish, what would it be? What's the cliche answer? World peace, right? Or they say, hey, we would end world hunger. We all crave these each and every thing. As we've walked through the Advent season, have you noticed that each of these things are things that are wired into us? They're things that we want. Hope. I, I want to have a certain hope. Love. I want to experience what actual love really is. Joy. I would love to be filled with joy constantly. Peace. I would really love to have that between myself and every relationship I have, or to just feel at peace in different moments of life. We all want this. Now, it's not, peace is not something that's terrible and we're like, oh gosh, got to run away from that. That sounds terrible. We all want to move towards peace. And if you had different interviews or conversations with people and, and you would start asking them, hey, do you think the world is getting more peaceful? I imagine most people would say probably yes. They would think that we're moving forward in a sense of world peace. Because in the 16th and 17th century, something happened. It's called the Age of Enlightenment. I'm giving you guys a little bit of philosophy history, uh, so don't fall asleep here. But this Age of, uh, of Enlightenment was actually a time where there was a big shift in the world. Huge shift to the point to where before, the world would have looked at tradition and history as something beautiful, something to be looked at, something to honor, something to move forward with and to continue to look back and reflect on it. 
But the uh, Age of Enlightenment was actually an individualistic framework and frame of thought. It was a season where philosophers and teachers started leading in such a way to where they started saying, the past is broken. The future's where everything's at. We're going to get better. We're going to lead to a place to where everything will be okay. In the ways of the past, they just don't know enough. And success is actually in the days ahead of us. And this comes out all over the place. We still kind of live with this same philosophy of thought. If you really start thinking about it and you start asking yourself, well, we think the world will one day be better. We think even without Jesus, if you just ask the average person, they would think, hey, one day we're going to get this all figured out. The next generation of leaders is going to be so much better. They're going to lead complete peace. And one day there's not going to be terrible stuff like mass shootings, suicide epidemics. Crime will no longer exist because we're going to have perfect policies, perfect leaders, and they're going to be in perfect products in such a way that this place is going to be okay. The show Star Trek, I've never actually seen it, but Star Trek is set in the future and all of the chaos isn't on earth. It's all across the universe. Why? Because earth has gotten to a point to where they live in complete peace. There's no strife. There's no chaos. There's no danger. There's no epidemics kind of hitting the world because they've gotten to a place of success. And yet the rest of the universe, they're still catching up. And so that's where all the war is. That's where all the crime is. That's where all the battle is kind of going. We want to believe that we're headed towards this perfect utopian world where everything's going to be all right. But can we actually act, execute it on our own? If, is that what's really happening? Are we actually moving forward towards more peace or is the world just as much at odds as it has been? The truth is we're constantly at odds with each other. Not just the people out there, but us true uh, on the inside. Evil comes from us. Wickedness comes from us. Pride comes from us. And we continue to see hatred as something to move towards or division to continue to divide over and over again. As we look at the globe worldwide, you kind of think, man, is the world at peace? We've got technology to where we can communicate and have real conversations with different countries and world leaders. We've gotten to a place where world leaders are able to get together, have group conversations, form committees, and, and talk about how to have peace among another. Is that working? No, we're different leaders. They disagree. Others move towards war. Some uh, want more power. Others attack each other. Some say, no, our way is right and your way is wrong. And so we continue to see this struggle and there's no peace between one another. Then you look at it. Okay, what about just the U.S.? I heard it said this last week that the U.S. is actually not no longer should be called like the United States of America, but the divided states of America. <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting because as you start maybe like thinking, you read your Facebook or you watch the news and it just feels like everybody hates each other. And maybe that's not actually true because when we engage in conversation, it goes a little bit better than uh, rather than like a Facebook conversation where you just feel like you can yell at someone across the screen because you don't have to look at them in the eye. But we see people are rioting, outbursts of anger are regular, canceling each other, censoring one another because we don't agree with each other. We would much rather argue than move towards peace with someone because our pride gets in the way and we think we're right. This isn't something new. You read the stories in scripture and you start to see even the people there were at odds. 
weren't in a place of peace. Even thinking of some of the closest disciples that Jesus had, you just look at Peter's life and you just glance at one moment to see where Jesus had asked Peter, James, and John to pray in the garden with him. This is towards the end of his life, and he's stressed out because he knows he's about to get arrested, to go to trial, to be beaten, mocked, and spat upon, and take the cross and die. And he asks them to pray, and as they're sitting there asleep, some of the soldiers come because Judas has betrayed him. They come to take Jesus, and how does Peter respond? Grabs a sword from one of the soldiers, cuts a dude's ear off, and he wanted to execute his own form of justice. So you're looking at Peter and you think, okay, maybe it was out of fear. Maybe it was out of anger. Maybe he's just trying to do it out of his own will because he's frustrated that his friend is about to be arrested. But it leads to violence nonetheless. And Jesus stops him and he goes, that's, that's not what we're supposed to do. Somehow he picks up the ear off of the grass, maybe gets the dirt off of it. Bam, just puts it on the dude's face again. And you're just like, whoa, that's pretty neat. And then you start to see where peace actually is. Jesus gets taken by the guards. He stands trial before the Jewish leaders as he's innocent. Jesus is then handed over to Pilate to evaluate, what should we do with this man? What should we actually do? And so he gives him over to the people. The people look at Jesus and they cry out, crucify him. Take him out. For something he's never done. Jesus then is taken by the military soldiers just after that where they take his clothes and they dress him in a scarlet robe. They twist a crown of thorns. They place it on his head. They mock him. They spit at him. They laugh on him. They beat him time and time again, and they take him to be crucified to his own death. Jesus takes all of this brutality, not because he's a doormat, not because he doesn't believe in fighting for righteousness or desiring righteousness, but because he's the Prince of Peace. And his kingdom is one of peace. And Jesus took the cross himself doing something that none of us would probably actually do willingly for other people, especially people who are our enemies and people who hate us and people who want nothing to do with us. And yet Jesus wanted to bring peace because it's who he is and it's what his dominion is supposed to look like. So as he looks upon the people, he doesn't just take the beatings and take the death for no reason, but he was establishing a peace that we couldn't imagine. We like to look at that section of Jesus's life and go, okay, so peace means no violence, right? We, we look at that section of Jesus's life and we, peace means just don't ever fight back or peace means nothing like that. And yet Jesus was doing something else that we couldn't see. He was bringing peace upon a relationship between us and God. He was being the mediator to take upon the sin of the world and the sins of who we are that we've committed so that we could trust in him and experience the true dominion of peace. So as we look at Jesus' life, he demonstrates to us what peace actually is. He is a prince who's going to reign across the world, and his world will look like justice and righteousness, and it will last forevermore. And yet at the same time, we're longing for that to come. We celebrate this Advent season because we think, man, a, a baby came in a manger. God came in the flesh. He came to save us from something we could never do. And it's a free gift. He's not asking me to be perfect. He's just asking me to say yes to him, to trust him, to believe in him, to have faith in who he is. And one day he will bring this place to a place of peace where there 
No more hurt, no more anger, no more pain, no more suffering, no more world hunger. All of those things that we desire are things that he's going to bring. But what about now? He wants us to bring peace. So as we wrestle with this Advent season, you feel like you're at peace. As you think about the holidays and you think about time with family and you think about the stress, I'm, I'm living this with you guys, right? Thinking about, okay, cool, Christmas Eve, got to drive to Grand Island and then drive back. And I don't really want to have to go through all that process and have a baby who's screaming and crying. And I don't feel at peace with some of those things. Or I think, okay, people are going to want to uh, maybe say some things that are going to annoy me or frustrate me. You know, when you're at home, it, it feels like there's a sense of maybe a little bit of chaos sometimes. And you're thinking, man, that doesn't sound super peaceful. Or maybe you don't have great relationships with those around you and the family. And maybe you're thinking, I don't want to go home. Maybe you don't have family and you won't get to go home. Maybe it feels like you don't have peace. Maybe you're dealing with different relationships that you're frustrated maybe at some friends or in these conversations with one another and you're thinking, how do we have peace? Jesus is entrusting us as his people to bring peace. He's entrusting us to not just receive the peace that's between us and him, but to actually execute some of that peace with those around us. And so my challenge for you guys, as you think about and consider the holiday season, is would you reflect on the peace that Jesus brings so that you could actually bring peace to others by bringing the gospel message to them, maybe by actually having a conversation where you disagree with somebody and walk towards a peace with one another. You can agree to disagree. That's fine. But in a place of peace, or is there strife and chaos and you're leading and you're letting your anger kind of come and it's unrighteous and you're wanting to do something, you're filled with this hatred maybe towards somebody. And that's why we're doing this whole at the table thing, you know, We've been walking towards this desire to have people actually invite others into their home, to have real conversations. It's an opportunity for us to do ministry with one another. It's an opportunity to build relationships. But at the same time, it's a place for us to bring peace. I got to sit at a table with people who were having hard conversations over the last week and a half or something like that. And I got to witness God do something sweet in the middle of uh, people just sharing their heart with one another and wanting to move towards peace with each other. And God's kingdom was shining brightly in those moments. As I think of hard conversations that I've had with my dad in our relationship, as we have wrestled with the different things, I think, man, Jesus has been able to bring peace in the middle of those relationships at different times. Because we've able to actually talk what if Jesus is asking us to move towards peace with one another? What if Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not just whenever I return, but my kingdom is breaking in today through my people? What if his dominion of peace means we're also supposed to bring peace? That's what we long for. So church, my challenge for you today is to see the Prince of Peace. When he was crucified, he was called the King of Jews. And one day, we'll call him, or even today, he is the King of Kings. When Jesus came, it was almost like as if God was saying to Caesar, who called himself the King of Kings, to bow his knee because the actual King of Peace has really arrived. 
Rome is gone. Jesus is alive and ruling today. The kingdom of peace doesn't come through human leaders, but it comes through the king of kings, and he establishes his reign of peace. And he challenges his people to bring about peace. He comforts us with this sense of peace. And so as we read these words from the prophet Isaiah, he calls out, wonderful counselor. He says with great joy, mighty God. He, he calls out to the prince of peace who will establish kingdom, his kingdom to bring about this sense of great hope for his people. And so we too say the same thing. We beg Jesus to bring about peace. Something that we want, something that we crave, something that we desire. And so we too look to our Prince of Peace who doesn't just bring about peace in a sense of uh, good and happy thoughts or place of bliss, but an actual reign and rule that we look to and long for each day. That he would continue to bring it in our relationship with him, in our relationship with others to actually participate in. So church, my hope is that you would experience peace this Christmas season. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks so much that as we examine Isaiah's prophecy, as we look to the beauty of these words that have been taken and made into songs and these words that we sing and these words that we hum and think about and and pray over that you are a son who was born, a child who came, a baby who brings us great peace and joy. Lord, I pray that as we meditate on the Advent season and your coming, Lord, that we would see that we could have peace with you. And we'd have peace everlasting with the King of Kings, the God of the universe, and we could actually experience this dominion of peace that you're going to bring. Lord, I pray that you would use us as your people to bring about peace on this earth as well, that we would be a people who are slow to anger, that we would be abounding in steadfast love, that we would reflect who you are to bring about peace with others, that we would be able to share with them that they could have great peace with you, Jesus, and that we too would also move towards others to bring about peace in relationships with one another, that we would be a people who are known for the peace that they bring. Jesus, we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand?